Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Bob Levy, the chairman emeritus of the Cato Institute. We'll be talking about the controversy over social media. And Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. We're going to be talking about uh, Trump's speech last night, everything that happened yesterday, a day in to live, go down in infamy, and some other topics as well. It is April the 5th, and on this day in 1614, mind you, that's 409 years ago, Pocahontas, daughter of the chief of Powhatan uh, Confederacy, married English tobacco planter John Rolfe in Jamestown, Virginia. The marriage ensured peace between the Jamestown settlers and the Powhatan tribe for several years. In May 1607, about 100 English colonists settled along the James River in Virginia to found Jamestown, the first permanent English settlement in America. The settlers feared badly because of famine, disease, and Native American attacks, but were aided by 27-year-old adventurer John Smith, who directed survival efforts and mapped the area. While exploring the uh, Chickamauga River, I think I mispronounced that, but irrespective, in December 1607, Smith and two colonists were captured by Powhatan warriors. At the time, the Powhatan Confederacy consisted of around 30 Tidewater area tribes led by Chief Powhatan. Smith's companion was kill, uh, companions were killed, but he was spared and released, according to a 1624 account by Smith. Because of the dramatic intercession of Pocahontas, Chief Powhatan's 13-year-old daughter, her real name was Matatoa, and Pocahontas was a pet name uh, that had been translated variously as Playful One or My Favorite Daughter. In 1608, Smith became president of the Jamestown Colony, but the settlement continued to suffer. An additional fire destroyed much of the town, and hunger and disease and Native American attacks continued. During this time, Pocahontas often came to Jamestown as an emissary for her father, sometimes bearing gifts of food to help the hard-pressed settlers. She befriended the settlers and became acquainted with English ways. In 1609, Smith was injured from a fire in his gunpowder bag and was forced to return to England. After Smith's departures, relations with the Powhatan deteriorated, and many settlers died from famine and disease in the winter of 1609 and 10. Jamestown was about to be abandoned by its inhabitants when Baron Delaware, also known as Delaware, arrived in June 1610 with new supplies and rebuilt the settlement. The Delaware River and the colony of Delaware were named after him, of course. John Rolfe also arrived in Jamestown in 1610 and two late years later cultivated the first tobacco there, introducing a successful source of livelihood that would have far-reaching importance for Virginia. <clears throat> in the spring of 1613, English Captain Samuel Argyll uh, took Pocahontas hostage, hoping to uh, use her to negotiate a permanent peace with her father. Brought to Jamestown, she was put under the custody of James, uh, or Sir Thomas Gates, the Marshal of Virginia. Gates treated her as a guest rather than a prisoner and encouraged her to learn English customs. She converted to Christianity and was baptized Lady Rebecca. Powhatan eventually agreed to the terms of her release, but by then she had reportedly fallen in love with John Rolfe, who was about 10 years her senior. 
On April the 5th, <clears throat> 1614, Pocahontas and John Rolfe married with the blessing of Chief Powhatan and the governor of Virginia. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, their marriage brought a peace between the English colonists and the Powhatans, and in 1615, Pocahontas gave birth to their first child, Thomas. In 1616, the colony's uh, couple sailed to England. The so-called Indian princess proved popular with English gentry, and she was presented at the court of King James I. In 1617, uh, Pocahontas and Rolf prepared to sail back to Virginia. However, the day before they were ready to leave, Pocahontas died, probably of smallpox, and was buried at the parish church of St. George in Graceland, England. John Rolf returned to Virginia, was killed in the Native American massacre in 1622. After education in England, their son Thomas Rolf returned to Virginia and became a prominent citizen. John Smith returned to the Americas in 1614 to explore the New England coast, on another voyage of exploration in 1614, he was captured by pirates, but escaped after three months of captivity. He then returned to England, where he died in 1631. Those folks were pretty adventurous, don't you think? It's just unbelievable that they survived uh, the experiment in Jamestown 409 years ago. Well, of course, we all know that President Trump spoke from Mar-a-Lago uh, last night after he was arrested in New York and charged with 34 counts of felony falsification of business documents charged in the first degree. He submitted a plea of not guilty. He was introduced as the next president of the United States to the wild cheers of supporters. Trump spoke with specifics about the case and pretty about the petty Democrat machine that had been coming after him for years, including New York Attorney General Letitia James, you know, we're going to be covering a lot of this. And I, I know that Andy uh, <clears throat> will have some very interesting comments about, Ajapa will have some very interesting comments about this. So rather than steal his thunder, I think I'm going to roll on to another topic here. However, House Republicans are reportedly setting their sights on countering politicized court cases by making prosecutors liable for misconduct. Boy, this is something that's missing right now, and I hope they're able to take action. I hope this isn't just talk. Long vexed by what they describe as weaponization of the justice system, House Republicans have been outraged by the vote to indict former President Donald Trump announced last week and has have mulled countermeasures. Under the concept, the GOP would create a pathway to push back against unruly district attorneys. You know what? I think this is just a fantastic idea, and I hope they're able to uh, cobble something together because these people, once they're voted into office with the help of George Soros, uh, they just continue to do whatever they're going to do with absolute immunity and absolutely no concern about what the consequences might be for them. There should be consequences for bringing false charges, for letting people out of prison early, for not following the law, and they shouldn't have complete immunity for sure. I don't exactly know what the law would like, look like. But something needs to be done. <clears throat> well, Hurricane Ian, which has now been classified as a Cat, of, Cat 5 a hurricane, caused at least 156 deaths and left nearly $110 billion worth of damage in Florida last year, making it the costliest hurricane in state history and the third most expensive in U.S. history behind Hurricane Katrina in 2005 and Harvey, Harvey in 2017. The National Hurricane Center, Center said Monday that it's uh, filed a report on September 22 uh, on, on the uh, storm. Now, interesting side note, at least interesting to me, I uh, sent my materials off to my CPA in order to file my taxes, told them that we had some losses 
that were uninsured. And uh, he said, well, Bob, and they haven't really declared this a disaster. And until they do, you can't write off uh, your losses. Seems to me uh, the IRS and the others that are in charge of this should understand that, hey, tax season is, is, is coming. He, what he told me is I'm going to have to uh, refile my taxes after uh, the uh, government takes action on this. But how stupid is it that they're not uh, doing something about it? They could say you are not going to do it, which would be unbelievable, but they should make that step immediately so people can file their taxes without having to refile. Just my opinion. Thanks for listening. <laughs> uh, eight congressional Republicans are asking President Joe Biden to support tax relief for families in 51 Florida counties and Puerto Rico who are impacted by Hurricane Ian, Nicole, and Fiona. Florida Senators Rick Scott and Marco Rubio sent a letter to Biden on Monday asking him to support the Hurricane Tax Relief Act, which would provide tax breaks to people in those impacted areas. And, of course, that would include me. Also signing the letter were uh, Florida Reps Byron Donalds, Scott Franklin, Bill Posey, Anna Luna, uh, Paulina Luna, and Martin diaz Ballard, Jennifer Gonzalez-Colón, who represents Puerto Rico, also signed the letter. As families in Florida and Puerto Rico keep working to fully rebuild their lives, homes, and communities, Congress must take the same important action it has after previous storms to provide tax relief for families in impacted areas, said the letter. This is a great idea, and I hope that, uh, that uh, this will move quickly uh, through Congress. Well, yesterday, uh, Wisconsin voters elected liberal judge Janet Protaskiewicz to a 10-year term of the state's Supreme Court, or win over conservative uh, former Justice Dan Kelly means Wisconsin's higher court is going to flip to a 4-3 uh, liberal majority for the first time in 15 years. The race made history as the most expensive judicial election ever, with more than $40 million in spending. It all comes as the Wisconsin Supreme Court's expected to weigh in on the state's 19, 1849 abortion ban soon. Protaskiewicz, who, uh, who openly supported abortion access, is expected to help reverse the ban and so many other things. This is just a very sad, quite frankly. If, if this is the canary in the coal mine right now, uh, it's pretty disturbing that uh, right, we'd see a liberal judge elected in Wisconsin after 15 years. The liberal majority could be short-lived with a justice term set to expire in 2025. In the meantime, uh, this uh, a person elected said the state's taking a step forward to better and brighter future. Kelly acknowledged his loss and wished Wisconsin luck, saying the state's going to need it. <laughs> He's absolutely right. <clears throat> By the way, <clears throat> uh, the uh, liberal running for uh, mayor in Chicago apparently has defeated the one chance that we had for he, this guy's for, well, for. Uh, defunding the police and all kinds of things. Here we go again. Again, another canary in the coal mine. Is this uh, the direction our country's going to go? This is a decision by the people. It's not a, a, a political move on the part of politicians. And uh, very disturbing and concerning. Well, the U.S. Social Security System's main trust fund reserves will be depleted in 2033, one year earlier than estimated last year, while Medicare's finances have improved slightly, moving from the program's trustees uh, showed, reports uh, showed on Friday. The Medicare Hospital Trust Fund uh, reserves are now expected to be depleted in 2031. Now think about that. That's eight years compared to an estimate of 2028 made last year, due in part to estimates showing higher revenue data. 
Both the Social Security and Medicare trustees reports say that the program's finances are unsustainable in the long term, and the Biden administration urged Congress to adopt President Joe Biden's proposal to raise Medicare taxes on the wealthy. Now, see, that's the knee-jerk reaction of Democrats. Raise taxes. Raise taxes. Well, there's a lot of other solutions as well to deal with uh, these programs. And unfortunately, uh, the, the Republicans and Demo- uh, Republicans said we're not going to touch uh, those programs, third rail programs. We're not going to touch Medicare and uh, uh, Social Security. Well, they need touching, and it's just not a political instrument. It is uh, something that needs reformation right now because the longer time goes, the more, the bigger the problems get, and the more difficult to solve. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Bob Levy. He is the chairman emeritus of the Cato Institute. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabees Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabees Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabees Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambos says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. 
Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by internationalhealthplans.com. If you're planning on traveling abroad, well, uh, most health insurance plans here in the United States don't cover international travel. And for a very small investment, you can make sure that you are covered when you're traveling abroad. Just visit the website internationalhealthplans.com. Coming up, we're going to visit with Andrew Joppa. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. Bob is the Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure. Good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., and focused on free markets, private property, securing individual rights, and limited government. C-A-T-O.org on the web. Terrific organization. I hope you check it out, Cato.org. Uh, Bob, we uh, have taken up the topic of uh, the whole controversy over social media, and we uh, stopped at a point where we uh, should reflect a little bit on Twitter's activities and uh, their, uh, I'm going to call it, uh, conf- the uh, working with the government in terms of uh, affecting and influencing politics. What are your thoughts? The so-called uh, Twitter files uh, were some internal documents that were made public uh, this past, starting this past December by uh, Twitter's new CEO, Elon Musk. And purportedly, the documents show that there was complicity between Twitter and government officials. Mm-hmm. For example, uh, the deputy general counsel at Twitter had been involved in suppressing the Hunter Biden laptop story. And he had also been previously general counsel for the FBI. And further, Twitter interacted with the intelligence community regarding the New York Post story on Hunter Biden's laptop. And then the FBI suggested action against several accounts for allegedly spreading election disinformation. And the U.S. government was allegedly involved in moderating COVID-19 content on Twitter. Now, bear in mind that that government may not compel private companies to do what government itself is prohibited from doing, and government certainly would have been prohibited from doing all those things under the First Amendment. Hmm. So the counter-arguments are that Twitter was free to decide what content to allow on its platform, both the Biden campaign and the Trump uh, White House were free to make suggestions, although not coerce. So my my view is that if the facts show that government has indeed exerted political pressure or coercion to influence content moderation by social media, that would definitely be a First Amendment uh, problem. We don't know that yet, but there are certainly some further investigations in process. Well, you, you mentioned words like coercion, but if the, if the federal government is giving misleading information like, hey, you really need to watch what you're publishing because well, it looks like we're finding out there's some Russian disinformation coming down about the Hunter Biden laptop, and this coming from FBI agents, <laughs> that's, that's not coercion necessarily, but it's misinformation. Yeah, it's borderline, it's borderline coercion, and, and that's really the the, the thread the needle that the legal authorities have to have to uh, investigate and find out w- at what point you cross that line. Oh, so interesting. So what's the answer to content moderation by social media? Well, I think if Facebook uh, et al, these are private companies, if they want to censor postings 
My view is that's their business. Uh, persons who object to Facebook's policies, uh, they can look elsewhere for political wisdom. And the Internet, notwithstanding lots of legitimate concerns about the Internet, has given us a multiplicity of choices. So I'm not all, all convinced that Facebook and a few others so dominate political dialogue that democracy is at risk. Uh, of course, not every problem has a neat solution. And, and democracy, which relies on the wisdom of voters and customers, can be a messy process, and occasionally there are malfunctions. Yeah. So I'm not sure what is the answer, but I'm fairly certain what is not the answer, and that is to have a politically mandated doctrine or some other misconceived standard imposed on uh, on social media. I would certainly not object if big tech were to voluntarily offer uh, moderation options to users who have varying sensitivity to uh, offensive material. And in any event, government regulators uh, must not police access to public debate. And the government may not, through threats, as we've just discussed, Mm -hmm. against social media or collusion with social media, try to do indirectly what government is barred from doing directly under the First Amendment. I'll add this, the kind of some background to this discussion is the fact that the, uh, uh, remember the movie Network? <laughs> yes. We're seeing the change of uh, the uh, news agencies right now. Instead of reporting the truth necessarily or reporting the facts about what's going on, have uh, become <clears throat> uh, you know outlets for commentary more than, than news. And the consequence is that people are gravitating towards social media to get their information. So it's a very complex problem. Indeed it is. And I'm not, again, I'm not sure what the answer is, but I think government dictating this stuff is the route we do not want to go. Absolutely. So do you think uh, the Chinese company TikTok should be banned in the United States? Well, it's a subsidiary of ByteDance, and that ByteDance is a Chinese company. So the concerns are, uh, first, there could be blackmail of U.S. persons based upon data that uh, that TikTok obtains. There could be spread of disinformation and propaganda and even maybe election uh, manipulation. Um, Data privacy, of course, might be a problem, but China could likely obtain the same data elsewhere, not simply through uh, TikTok. National security uh, might also be invoked, but it would be subject to evidentiary requirements. That is to say, government has to show that there is a national security risk, and there would be strict judicial scrutiny of that because it would be a prior restraint on speech. So that that's why an outright ban on TikTok might raise uh, First Amendment problems. Now, yeah. TikTok doesn't get First Amendment protection. It's a foreign company. Mm-hmm. But its 150 million U.S. users uh, do get First Amendment uh, protection, and they desire to receive and post the information. There have been some other proposals. One is this so-called Project Texas, where TikTok would store the data on U.S.-owned servers, specifically Oracle Corporation, and, and, and TikTok would submit its algorithms for U.S. Uh, monitoring and have a U.S.-approved board of security that controlled TikTok's operations. I think that's worthy of uh, some further exploration. The other options are a forced sale to a U.S. company. 
before uh, because of First Amendment issues. I think you know we we need to look at these various yeah. alternatives. Regulation would be a good deal less intrusive than an outright ban on TikTok. Or just influence, my goodness. I mean, if you're, you're making a warning to the American people, I mean, it should reduce or have, create concerns about the people who want to use TikTok. So, Indeed. Uh, you know, yes. the uh, outright ban, again, that's the government stepping in and doing what the citizens should be doing. So uh, what has Florida done to limit uh, content moderation? Well, Governor DeSantis signed a bill um, <clears throat> in May of 21 that would bar Internet companies from suspending political candidates in the run-up to elections. And then the law also allows both the state attorney general and privates, non-candidates, to sue if they think that content decisions are unfair. And you got similar laws pending in Texas and North Carolina and Louisiana. Of course, one issue there is who is a candidate? Um, there's no hard and fast definition of who who a candidate is at particular points in time along yeah. the campaign trail. And, of course, there are also First Amendment and Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act that could create problems for the DeSantis bill. I'm sure it'll be litigated. Absolutely. Well, last question. If, if the Section 230 uh, were repealed, what would be the legal framework for social media? Well, I think the First Amendment is a well-litigated line between permissible and impermissible speech. And it offers the best solution for regulating a social media company. So the government could condition this grant of immunity under Section 230 on a pledge from the platforms not to censor third-party content unless it falls outside the protections of the First Amendment, mm -hmm. such as you know things like libel or threats to overthrow the government, uh, direct threats of physical violence, and certain types of indecent. Uh, material. Mm -hmm. But notably, a hate speech is First Amendment protected. So it would not be subject to censorship mm -hmm. uh, by um, these companies under the First Amendment. Yeah, yeah, thank you, Bob. I think the real solution is people need to get back to honesty and for, being forthright in their communications. Because, yeah, tall order, but that's that's exactly right. Uh, Bob Levy, again, Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute, I encourage you to visit the very robust website, cato.org, C-A-T-O.org. Bob, I genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with uh, Professor Andrew Joppa. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor.
Finish what you started with a Hodges University wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit Hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We have with us Professor Andrew Joppa, author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Andy. Well, you By the just... way, I like the way you ended what you just had. You offered the rule of law. It should be engraved on something or, or rather right now, Bob. It'd be nice to get back to it, wouldn't it? <laughs> so, Andy, uh, before we get into the big topic of the day, which, of course, is uh, Donald Trump, uh, usually we start our discussions with good news. you have any good news for us? Well, I have a something that's good news for me, and I'm not sure if everybody will feel the same way, but... Excuse me. Yesterday, Nikki Freed in Florida was arrested. Now, I can't think of anything happening to a uh, to a woman that would be uh, more appropriate than that. Now, it's not a serious arrest, so I'm not making that case. But it just was gratifying to hear that Nikki Freed was arrested. So, very personal view in terms of Nikki Freed. Uh, a real what, what was she? What was she elect or arrested for? Protesting at a uh, the protesting at a. Uh, a reproductive rights center. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think I did read that. Interesting. So, <clears throat> it wasn't uh, done by DeSantis's office. It was local police in Tallahassee, by the way, which uh, makes it a very apolitical moment because Tallahassee is as democrat democratic as is New York City. Yeah, uh, almost. But uh, so it was just a, a legal action taken by the local police. But uh, uh, she's consistently annoyed me over the past several years. But yeah. that that's a personal view, Bob, and I, I admit to that. Uh, a real piece of good news, though, is over the last eight years and nine months. There has been no increase in global temperatures uh, in that time period, almost nine years, and not an increase. During that time, Bob, there were 500 billion tons of, of emissions, which is worth about 14% of the total man-made carbon dioxide ever produced. And yet, in almost nine years, the temperature did not budge globally. However, the Earth is greener and more flush. Oh, it's got positive. No, there's no <laughs> doubt about it. Now, you would think with a story like that, this would take uh, create some pause in the people that are you know screaming that we have to suppress all economic growth to to uh, eliminate carbon. But it won't. Of course not. Yeah. There's no piece of, uh, of factual information that can possibly deflect them because it wasn't built on fact in the first place. There's an old saying that you can't you can't change opinions with fact that were not originally built on fact. So yeah. that, that's where we are today with the uh, the debate on on carbon. Bob. Well, well, thanks for that contribution. I mean, I I steadfastly contend that carbon dioxide is plant food and it uh, feeds photosynthesis. So 
uh, we can uh, take carbon dioxide and feed the plants. And uh, somehow, some way, uh, the progressives have totally changed this whole thing and made that a bad deal. So, Well, I, I mentioned last week on the show that over the last 30 years, there's been approximately a 15% growth in the global amount of, of vegetation. Uh, so I, I, I think what you just said can be documented, uh, and it's, it's a very, very important reality, Bob. Yeah. Uh, I'll just assert I was a little disappointed to see that the Wisconsin Supreme Court election came out for the progressive candidate. And also that the, it looks like the mayor of uh, Chicago has continued to be a progressive who wants to defund the police. Well, I don't think there was any uh, serious doubt about that. The uh, elimination of Lori Lightfoot was just a necessary uh, part of a process, but it certainly was not a conclusion. And Chicago will remain as it was prior to Lori Lightfoot. Uh, uh, disappointing. So uh, uh, any other good news? That's enough for today. I okay. had a stretch to get that far, Bob. <laughs> well, let's get into Donald Trump and the, the proceedings of yesterday. What are your thoughts? Uh, you know, almost everything that can be said about this at this point has been said. Obviously, this is a very, very fragile legal case. I would say it is a totally uh, uh, bogus uh, legal process. I've heard Andy McCarthy's position on this, Mark yeah. Levin, uh, Victor Davis Hanson, uh, every one of these people. And they're, I would say, suggest they're somewhat to the right, obviously, but nevertheless, uh, they, they reviewed the case. And McCarthy is, it tends to be very, very balanced, as they all do, by the way. But uh, they found no, no serious legality. There's a violation of the statute of limitations. There's the extension of, of, of federal law into into a into a state uh state court uh there's just nothing nothing behind this thing at all uh and but i think that when people say that he will not be convicted and i certainly hope the case will be dismissed on its face uh but i think the indictment is the serious part of this process it's not the conviction uh i'm going to talk a lot about china a little bit later on but let me make the case that i can create a a scenario in which there has been a asymmetric war launched by China. First was to get Donald uh, B B Joe Biden elected. That would, in fact, damage the American economic system and weaken us internationally. Then, to take on the, the challenge to Trump, as we're seeing now, which would also damage what America presents itself as to the world, as being a lover and, and, and defender of democracy. And we can see that this is a, a two-pronged attack. Even if I'm not right that this was intentional, we can certainly see that those two things have happened, and it may just be another variation of asymmetric war by China. That is such an interesting observation. We can develop that a little bit more. I mean, uh, to me, uh, these charges, these uh, charges against Donald Trump, basically saying we're elevating these charges from misdemeanors to uh, felonies because he's committed another crime, which is a felony. What is it? I can't they tell you. Find that secondary crime, or the primary crime, I guess it is. Uh, yet, uh, yet uh, the defendant has the absolute right to understand the charges against them. Right. And yet, even at this point, uh, it, there, there were 34 counts, felony counts against Donald Trump. And yet, at this point, his lawyers, nor 
nor Trump himself have any idea what the primary crime was. So just just a horrible, horrible process. And again, when I hear people suggesting that there's no chance that this case will actually make it to a jury or if it makes it that far, the jury will find him not guilty. I think all of them are, are, are suspicious positions, uh, suspect positions, primarily because we, we know that in New York City, certainly uh, both of those things can certainly happen, Bob. Yeah, absolutely right. And uh, the, the other concern is for those that don't uh, put this on the front burner in terms of understanding what's going on in the world, uh, they're going to be influenced by the fact that he was just indicted. And, uh, the 34, 136 years in prison, Trump faces <laughs> this, this information, you know, uh, to, to the uninformed uh, voter? Well, when, as Trump said last night, one of the challenges that is possibly being launched is espionage, which has the potential of, 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 of capital punishment. Yeah. Uh, you know, just uh, an amazing array of crimes the, that are being suggested that this man has committed. Not one of them, as I've read through all of them, including the, uh, the Georgia case, uh, all of them are fabricated charges which have absolutely no substance. Uh, it's, it's quite obvious what's going on here, uh, and yet we're, we're asked to handle this in the, in the dig, dig, dignified manner of historic American law. Yeah. And yet there's nothing, nothing in this that would, that would indicate that that is the case. I would also mention, Bob, I brought this uh, piece of information up in a recent essay I wrote, that there are 30,000 district attorneys in America, 30,000. In addition to that, there are 700 district federal judges and 200 circuit court judges. I bring up those numbers to indicate the potentials that exist once we unleash these these DAs and once they start moving in these type of directions, and by the way, I think we can make the case that this has already happened 18 years ago yeah. with the Tom DeLay case in, in Texas. Uh, pretty much the same situation. A renegade DA brought uh, specious charges against Tom DeLay, and it, it forced him out of office. So I think we're looking at a, an expansion of this. I don't see the expansion coming from uh, from those on the right. That's just not our style, and I, I don't think we're going to see that. What I think we'll see is many more progressive, liberal, leftist uh, DAs and, and those on these courts that will start to take action if, in fact, Bragg can get away with this. And Bragg will get away with it if he stays in office. Yeah. The fact that he may not convict Trump will not be the, the defining element here. It will be a matter of whether Bragg can stay in office. Uh, and as uh, Nancy Pelosi uh, erroneously suggested, everyone has the right to, to, to a trial to prove their innocence. Yeah. What an absolute uh, rejection of constitutional protections where the, the defendant has no obligation whatsoever to do anything in a court of law. They can just sit there. It is up to the state to prove everything, Bob. Absolutely. Andy, we need to take a little break. Can you stick around? I have nothing better to do. Bob. Okay, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the uh, Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Finish what you started with a Hodges University wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. 
You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, changing lives through exceptional theater experiences. And we've got one running right now. It's Barefoot in the Park by Neil Simon's Great Play. And uh, it's running through April the 16th. I hear it's absolutely terrific. We're going to go see it on Sunday. Again, Barefoot in the Park by Golf Shore Playhouse. The website is Golf Shore Playhouse. Org. We continue the conversation with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Andy. Again. So did you watch the speech last night by Trump? I, I did. I, I normally don't watch speeches. I typically read them. I find that more effective. But in this case, I, I thought it was a, uh, a critical moment in, in our history to hear what, the, what President Trump had to say. Uh, I was very impressed. I was impressed, uh, as I said to you off air, that uh, he, rema- he retained his dignity, his decorum. I thought he was strong and focused on the charges that were being brought against him. I think he defined the circumstance quite accurately. Uh, and for those that, uh, are insist- that insist on defining Trump as being uh, out of control and just a, a, a renegade when he's speaking. I, I generally find that, or almost always find that, not to be true. Right. And I think last night was a prime example of, of, of Donald Trump, who, who could have been outraged and probably was inside of himself. Yet I thought there was none of that displayed uh, on the stage last night uh, at, at Mar-a-Lago. I agree, and he referred to himself in the third person in some cases, saying that I can't believe this is happening to the 45th president of the United States. In other words, he's outraged by the lack of law and and commitment to the law and what's going on right now in America. And he referenced all the things, the litany of things that have happened in terms of the impeachments and so forth, as well as uh, the uh, change in energy policy, uh, the open border. You know, basically, he said that we are really in trouble as a country, and we need to do something to fix it. 
Well, I think he understate, understated it, but I think that's necessary for a, a potential uh, president in 2024. He can't, I think, lay it out, I think, as deeply uh, stated a problem as it probably is in his mind. Uh, but on the other hand, I thought he was uh, emphatic about that uh, America, what, what are he, the phrase he used, America is in hell, something, something along those lines. So I think he was quite dramatic about the indication of where America is. Uh, I think he refers to the, uh, himself in the, in the concept of the 45th president because I, I think he wants the audience and all America and all the world to recognize that this is about a president of the United States. It's not uh, about even him. Even when I hear the, those that are defending uh, the the circumstance that's happening to Trump, I, I hear almost no one that defends Trump per se. In other words, I hear very few commentators who actually talk about the accomplishments of Donald Trump, right. his history in office, his history in terms of his support uh, of the American legal system. They do they do reject many of the conservative commentators. They reject the process of of Alvin Bragg in New York. But I don't hear many people directly supporting Donald Trump, and, and that is discouraging to me, Bob. I agree with that. Andy, you referenced earlier in our conversation about the influence that China may have had in our election and what's going on. What, uh, can you expand on that a little bit? Well, I think there's no doubt that the uh, that China has had significant influence directly or indirectly uh, in our elections. Uh, I think we can make the case that certainly the 2020 election was uh, was influenced, if not altered, by by Chinese involvement. Uh, I think that we can see, you know, Joe Biden retreating to his basement. Uh, there must have been something that Joe Biden knew, and I would suggest that he knew there was a tremendous level of Chinese influence being exerted in our election process. If not, certainly Joe Biden has, has fed into the, the global aspirations of China by, in fact, weakening the United States uh, globally. Yeah. Uh, I think we're, we've been humiliated. I think this country is lost standing. That is more dramatic than anything we can imagine in a, in a little over uh, two years. Uh, gone from a position under Trump where, uh, if, uh, if not respected, and I think we were respected, but right. certainly we were feared. And I think that's as good as, as respect in many cases in the, in the, in the global uh, world. I would say uh, more right important. We are neither feared nor respected yeah. uh, in the global community. And that has been initiated by, uh, by Joe Biden and his administration. If we add to this right now uh, the absolute attack on American democracy that the world is witnessing, and I've read the worldwide commentary on the, uh, the situation with Donald Trump as it pertains to his indictment. And they're, they're, they're humiliating the United States as a result. So here you have America, which is, is losing its worldwide influence, while China is, is picking it up. If we just look at Central America, uh, Nicaragua shifted to Beijing in 2021. El Salvador, 2018, Panama, 2017, Costa Rica in 2007, Honduras just this year. So I think we can look just at Central America and see the dramatic shift that's taking place in those countries. If we expand that to what is known as the BRICS, B-R-I-C-S. Now, most Americans are not familiar with the concept of the BRICS. It is an alliance of Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, with China leading the way. Now, there's other countries that want to join BRICS, and that's Saudi Arabia, Egypt, and Argentina, among, among others. Mm -hmm. What they are trying to do is uh, replace the United States as the world's reserve currency. 
if that takes place, then I think America, Americans right now have no appreciation of the implications that will have for our economy, Bob. Well, thanks for that commentary, Andy. And I totally agree with you. We're seeing one door after another close. Uh, the influence of the United States is being reduced substantially uh, in Saudi Arabia, uh, Iran, and, and our influence there, our influence in uh, Russia, our influence in, uh, well, and I'm concerned about Israel as well. I mean, we're just, uh, to me, we we're supposed to be the leader of the free world, and I don't think we have the respect of, the, of uh, other nations. Bob, yeah, I'll tell you what, you and I, I would define us as at least uh, patriotic Americans, among other good things. Yeah. Uh, and yet I, I, don't, I can't see how any country at this point would, would trust the United States of America. Bob. Absolutely. Well, as Mark uh, Twain once defined patriotism as supporting your country at all times and your government when it deserves it. Uh, or Samuel Johnson's comment that patriotism is the last refuge of the scoundrels. So. <laughs> uh, Andy, we need to take another little break. Can you stick around? I'll, I'll be here. Buddy. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate courtyard garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean dining room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. 
They know the politics and know the policy. They can help prepare elected officials to have winning strategies in the legislature. You can find out more about this terrific organization. The website is thefga.org, thefga.org. We continue the conversation with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. This is my favorite place to be, Bob. All right, Andy. You know, I, I really want to uh, get your thoughts on everything that's happening with uh, the uh, I, in artificial intelligence and what's what's going on, the rapid development. But uh, any other comments about China? Well, let me just talk about something briefly that most people uh, ignore or are not aware of, one or the other, maybe both. Uh, basically, uh, the China, mainland China, is described as a communist government. And the term is used, obviously, as it should be in a derogatory sense. I would make the case that China is no longer communist. Uh, and I'll, I'll explain that in a second. Historically, there are two philosophies that have dominated China. One is Confucianism, which is very humane, and the other is legalism, which is not. It's just the opposite of, of being humane. Uh, what we see right now in China, and this is not just my opinion, but China is shifting uh, to the ancient Chinese philosophy of legalism. Now, legalism dominated the, the, the Qin dynasty, which was the first to unite China, and the Han dynasty, which followed it, uh, supported Confucianism. It is returning to legalism. Now, what does this mean? China is rejecting Western philosophies at this point. One of the Western philosophies they're rejecting is communism. Mm -hmm. And so what we can see in China, if we really un begin to understand it, is China's move back into one of its founding philosophies, and that is legalism. Legalism is built around draconian laws to, to control the people. It also automatically requires a dictator at the top of this pile. Mm -hmm. It's also, by the way, very progressive legally. What that means to, to your audience is that no prior law will be binding on the government of China, that everything can be eliminated. That is the progressive nature of China that we see today. So we can see if we really assess China as it exists. It is in a, in a state of asymmetric war with the West. It is no longer communist. It is now legalist. It is being dominated by strong draconian laws led by a, uh, a dictator who will stay constantly supported at the top. And the intent will be constantly to support the aspirations of historic China. I think that's what we're seeing right now in China itself, Bob. Oh, so well said, Andy. I would suggest that uh, the only people that call, call Chinese communists are, are themselves. They refer to the, the communist uh, Chinese Communist Party. That is, a, that, that is their, uh, their name, but they're, they're anything but communist. I think at this point that's that's true, and that's that's the point I was making. Uh, and I'm I'm really surprised at uh, how the the major commentators uh, do not seem to truly understand what is happening in China. Yeah. Uh, I think they even if they do, I think they're reluctant to uh, to broach the issues for whatever their reason. So uh, I think that if we're looking at. Uh, who is the greater threat to us, uh, uh, Russia or China? I, I think there is absolutely no doubt, or should be no doubt in anyone's mind, aside from the extreme number of nuclear weapons in Russia's hands, obviously. But China is the is the most significant threat uh, to American hegemony at this point. I agree, Andy. So uh, give us some thoughts on uh, AI and uh, artificial intelligence. Well, we've seen recently where um, Elon Musk, supported by many 
um, uh, AI scientists have called for a six-month moratorium on the uh, on the research being done on on artificial intelligence. The artificial intelligence they're talking about is uh, ChatGPT five. Now, uh, I use ChatGPT, which is the free version online. Uh, Chat GPT-4 is about a hundred times more powerful and uh, faster than, uh, than that. It's a paid service. My son uses that. What they're trying to interfere with is the uh, research into Chat GPT-5, which they describe, this is Musk and these AI scientists, they describe as uh, reaching a point of singularity. Now, again, for your audience, singularity was a concept that was uh, first defined primarily by one of the leading AI research uh, scientists, Ray Kurzweil, back in the latter part of the 90s and the early part of the 21st century. Singularity is the point where computer intelligence, not only in, term, in terms of capacity, but in terms of reasoning ability, matches the uh, equivalency of the human brain. Now, that sounds like it's equal, equal. It is not going to stay there, is the, is the concern. Uh, the concern is, once the computer systems uh, reach a point of singularity, being the equivalency of human uh, brain capacity and reasoning ability, that they will rapidly, rapidly expand uh, way past the human process by a factor of a thousand. Some even suggest by a factor of a million. Human beings will be left in the dust if you, if the, uh, the computers, in fact, reach that point. Now, many say you can just unplug them. It, it's, it won't be possible. By that point, we would have turned over so many of our essential functions to artificial intelligence that we can't unplug it because that would destroy all of our infrastructure. They also suggest we could program around it, and they ignore the fact that at the point of, 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 of singularity, the computers will be able to write their own programs to eliminate that interference. Now, I know this all sounds like, like futuristic uh, science fiction, I, you know, I'm sorry if, that, if anyone feels that way. That is happening right now. That's right. And that position is being taken by hundreds of worldwide uh, AI scientists who have great concern about the implications for humanity if that all takes place, Bob. You know, Andy, I, I, I can't uh, emphasize enough how important what you're saying is. Quite frankly, I mean, the development of AI is happening so rapidly. It's not just here in the United States. It's globally uh, you know, in many cases, seeking profitability, seeking the uh, rise in the stock prices and so forth. But with little regard, I think, to the ethics behind all of this and uh, the implications for the human race. Well, that's the point that Musk and these scientists are making. So uh, I think they're, they're looking at this as a, a serious threat. They also understand that uh, many nations in behind closed doors are developing advanced AI systems as tools of warfare. So when they suggest that this is going to be put on hold, uh, when you're talking about a tool of war, very few nations are going to back away from it, even if there are dire implications associated with the bubble. Yeah, you're so right. And you're so right, Andy. No, by the way, who's going to call the moratorium? Nobody can actually pull that off. So Andy Joppa, again, uh, uh, author of Josephus of Oz, professor as well. Just genuinely appreciate your most well-informed and interesting commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll talk soon, Bob. All right. Thank you, Andy. Well, that's a wrap here at today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. 
We've got some great guests for tomorrow's show, including Keith Flaw, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. Michael Cannon is the director of health policy studies at the Cato Institute. Seton Motley is the founder of Less Government. And the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett, will be joining us as well. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. Also, if you enjoy the show, tell your friends. Uh, That's one of the ways we spread the word and support our advertisers. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.